You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Put those headphones back on for our special guests. Special guests, Matt Nightingale, episode 36. It's kind of like episode 35 and a half because we're doing a special, <laughs> special... <laughs> Podcast. When I say special, I mean special. How do you oh, feel right now? V? I feel so special. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is a day of podcast. That's right. We don't normally put podcasts out on Thursdays. Normally go out on men- on on Mondays. But Matt's putting on the huge ginormous headphones with the microphone. It's like the Lady Gaga or Madonna mic. I always say it's like the drive-through mic oh. because I worked at McDonald's. That's right. And we were talking today. Just you had no idea that I, had, I also dude. worked at Burger King. Dude, that was I my had first no job. Idea. That's why I was like, we are so connected in so many ways. <laughs> Jesus, we are art, kindred spirits. Church and drive-through drive order taker. Hi, this is Tony. Uh, welcome this, to <laughs> welcome to Burger King. Man, take your order, please. Take your order, please. <laughs> that is our life and. Yeah. I have confessed many times that I've given away free food to my friends mm-hmm. and eaten cheese danishes because that was what you did when you were in the drive-thru booth. Yeah. I did not do that because I was... You're such a good person. I was kind of a rule follower. You were. You yeah. are. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So, hey, Matt, well, first of all, why the heck are you here in my office on a Thursday afternoon in the middle of February? Well, that's a great question. I love that um, as a teacher, I have... Um, I have some time off school sometimes, and this is my February break. Our school gets a February break and an April break, and so um, they call it Ski Week. Uh, it is colloquially known as Ski Week, but we cannot call it that. It is February break okay, cool. because Ski Week is kind of a privileged thing to say, isn't it? Okay, oh, I see. Good. Right? We not don't want to be. That's true. Not every family can afford to go. That's so true. Ski week. I've never been on a ski week, so that's good. It makes me feel better. Yeah. But you texted me, I think, two months ago. Yeah. And you're randomly like, "Hey, can you pick me up at SFO <laughs> on Wednesday, the 20th of February?" I was like, "Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. coming back from vacation. We could hang out for a few days." Yeah. And like after I said, "Sure, I'll pick you up," I think within 10 minutes, we were talking about what's actually happening right now. Yeah. Because I said, if you're going to come here and hang out, quote unquote, let's make something, let's do something, let's put on an event, let's do a live podcast, let's have a, a show, and now we're doing it all. Yep. It's happening. So Sold out sold as of out. this morning. So tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, hello, at Box Headquarters, which is one of our sponsors for my nonprofit, Brave Maker. Thank you, Box. They're hosting us, and they're giving us beer and wine and appetizers. So if you're listening to this, it's not public, but there's going to be wine and cheese and hummus and wings and fries and veggies and all this kind of stuff. I am super smashed before stuff. I play. <laughs> super, super cool. So we are, uh, are going to have a podcast right now. We're just going to do a podcast about the art life, the sacred and strangeness about being a creator, how uh, if you can't come to the event tomorrow, we're also going to live record that podcast so we can put it out again. So we'll talk about stuff we're not going to talk about tomorrow. Okay. We're going to try. Okay. So let's talk about just the, the the creative life, dude, like being a creator. Uh, first of all, we were talking off podcast about how creative things have shaped you and me. Like we both can attribute films, music, theater, to being uh, a significant influence of who we are. Yeah. And you were talking about Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under was this really profound uh, viewing experience for me. I was still married at the time. I was still uh, a worship pastor full time. And 
and here's this show. And I don't know, I guess you've never watched it? I didn't watch, I think I watched one episode and maybe back then I was at a different place in time. It yeah. felt a little morose and dark yeah. and deathly, yeah, for sure. you know? Well, so I think know, I would love it now, though. <laughs> oh, it's so good, and you know, and it, it was one of the early TV shows that was that kind of like reintroduced this whole like renaissance of of great TV that I think we've been experiencing over the last ten or twelve years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an early one, really great writing, really great performances, um, and it, it's about a family in Los Angeles. Um, so it's, I mean, at its heart, it's a family drama. Um, with just tons of wonderful characters, but, but kind of the framing device is they, they run, um, uh, a funeral home and they are undertakers. And so at the beginning of every episode, uh, somebody dies and sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's tragic. Sometimes it's whatever, but that's how the episode starts is somebody dies. And then that body is super clever. And yeah. Eventually gets to them. So you see the person alive, uh see how they die. So they get to play around with all different types of deaths. Yes. Like tragedies and funny things and, you know, embarrassing things and whatever. Um, but you know, at, at its heart, the show is a, a just a family drama, and mm-hmm. and there was a so so the idea of death was just like ever present, and um, for me, people have uh, accused me of having a midlife crisis a couple of years ago when I came out of the closet and left my marriage, and in some ways they're not wrong. Um, I think we very naturally at, at this stage in our lives uh, <laughs> kind of do a reckoning, like wow, uh, my life is at least half over, maybe more. And, uh, and, and how do I want to live? And, uh, and I was kind of, maybe it was morbid, but I was kind of like coming face to face with the reality of my own death back then a lot and thinking about it and reading books about death and, <laughs> and watching six feet under. And, uh, it was, it, it, it was just powerful to think I will die. I will draw my last breath and how will I have lived? Mm. It's kind of cool that a TV show could impact someone like that. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, it was powerful. And then the other thing about Six Feet Under specifically was there's a, a gay couple on it, and they were just really, I guess, normal. You know, they were uh, they were deeply in love, but they went through their share of relational trials and tribulations and joys, and and I just really I, I loved them, and I and I wanted to to be able someday maybe to experience something like mm-hmm. that uh, that that felt authentic and real to me, um, and I. Looking back at it now, I think it's really interesting, too. It was an interracial couple, so black man and a white man. The black man was a police officer, so he's dealing with uh, kind of that whole toxic masculinity of the police force. Which is a huge part of our culture today that we talk about. So he's black and gay and a Mm. policeman Mm. and in a relationship, and there's coming out stories involved or like related to that, coming out to people in his department, coming out to the family, so on and so forth. So yeah, Six Feet Under was super important to me. It was one of those things that I look back now. It wasn't just Six Feet Under, of course, but it was one of the things that added to the avalanche that eventually caused me to come out. I think it's interesting that in some way, and I hear you talking about that, I remember you know, I was at a different place 18 years ago yeah. with media as well. Remember mm. you, you joked oh, about yeah. last podcast, like I wasn't watching rated R movies, uh-uh. but I remember there was a lot of fear going around content, you know, especially from people of faith, Christians, uh-huh. because when you have a TV show or a film that in some way normalizes a minority group or a, an, an oppressed community that raises questions for people of faith. They say, you know, you shouldn't watch that because there's an agenda there, right? People often use that word, even like the gay agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as being something to avoid in media. Right, of course. But 
you talk about your midlife crisis. I mean, I could probably say I had a midlife crisis or maybe a midlife opportunity. I felt mm-hmm. like I had permission after 20 years to spread my wings and enter into the creative field and enter into media. And for me, media has been one of the most powerful ways for me to express my faith. Uh, and I didn't have that permission, you know, in the past 20 years to ask certain questions, to right. tell certain stories. I mean, you talk about the death of six feet under being something that liberated you. It's so cool to think about death, right? And stories of death, it's liberating kind of a resurrection. It's story, so cool. It? It sounds like Jesus. I'm super interested in like, I'm writing, I wrote a film about suicide based mm-hmm. on my grandma's death. And I am trying to put that out into the world because I think we need permission to talk about suicide. I've done enough memorials as a pastor for people who have taken their life and as well as people who just die of natural circumstances. And we don't know know what to do with death. We don't know how to deal. We're awkward. We say the wrong things. We say nothing. And sometimes uh, I think the permission that I have felt just as it sounds like you did to talk about things has come through a movie. And so I'm really interested as an artist to put stuff into the world. And that's why even doing my Brave Maker stuff, I'm trying to get us into rooms to talk. Like I have been just as moved in a movie theater or a TV, watching a TV show as I have in sort of a creative worship experience, you know, in a building that has a cross on it. Mm -hmm. And I think as creative people, you know, we were just talking about this. I think there is a reformation and a resurrection happening in art in a new way if we're listening and looking. And the, the, the church today, we need artists to be able to be free to talk about what they're passionate about and to be able to ask questions and to be able to surface pain and mystery without always resolving it in a nice, in a nice pretty way. You know? So um, I'm excited for our event tomorrow. By the way, if you're listening to this and you are coming tomorrow, let us know when you see us on Friday night. If you didn't, that's okay too. You'll be able to uh, hear this podcast as well as the live one um, when we post it because we're recording our whole conversation tomorrow. But speaking of artists and people of faith, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about Chris Pratt and Ellen Page, and I thought that was a really fascinating conversation. Let's talk about that on the podcast. Yeah, this is like current events happening now. Yeah. So Chris Pratt, an actor, a very famous guy. Yeah, Jurassic um, Park, yeah. Parks and Rec, Parks and Rec. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Huge star. Yep. Uh, also a Christian, an outspoken yeah. Christian. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was laughing about this earlier. I remember how excited I would be when a Hollywood star would like be a Christian <laughs> yeah. on yeah. TV. How cool one that was. One of us. One, one of us out us there. Getting the message out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, good for Chris. And, and I think it is cool that he very. can be sure. outspoken about his faith in Christ. That's beautiful. That's what I want to be too. Um, and he goes to a church in Hollywood, I think called Zoe church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is just one of kind of like these celebrity churches. And I've been reading some really interesting, uh, like, uh, like, like not expose, uh, like a profile of these churches, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's Hillsong in New York city. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's many churches like this. They're kind of like headed by these kind of Instagrammable pastors, you know, <laughs> who really dress well and who are super cool. And Justin Bieber comes to their church or Kanye West and Kim Kardashian or whoever. And, and honestly, like if you peel back a little bit, well, what happened was, so here's, um, Chris Pratt on late night TV. And I think he was talking to Stephen Colbert, I think okay. about his faith. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And it was tweeted. And Ellen Page was on there like two or three weeks prior. Yes, talking about LGBTQ mm-hmm. issues and got mm-hmm. all emotional and it was really powerful. And that was, you know, viral, went viral. So then she then tweets something at Stephen Colbert and Chris Pratt saying, well, that's cool and all, but how about we address the LGBTQ um, exclusion mm. from his church or whatever? He's kind of famously anti-LGBTQ. Huh. And then this kind of like started this whole firestorm of controversy around, well, well, that's not true. And and like Brian Houston, the pastor of Hillsong specifically, who has kind of received a lot of questions about this, they put out this big article, Hillsong loves everyone. We welcome everyone. Yes. And that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that I couldn't be married in your church. I couldn't serve as a pastor on your staff. Mm. I couldn't be a member of your church as an openly gay man. Mm. And so there is a lot of talk right now. Um, about what does it mean to be an, a, a church that welcomes and affirms gay people? Yeah. Is it enough to say we welcome gay people, uh, we, we love you, uh, or do you need to go further than that and say we, um, we affirm you, we, we bless you, we would marry you, we, you could serve in our church? Um, and so a lot of people have been calling out these churches and saying, please yeah. clarify your yeah. position. Um, there's an organization that will... That that we'll talk about, I'm sure, another time. Yeah, it's let's called, talk about it. It's well, it's called Church Clarity, and uh, and I'm a big fan of them. Um, they are, I mean, clearly progressive people who are gay affirming themselves, the people who run Church Clarity. But they are simply asking churches, and they are starting to rate churches based on two criteria. Number one, uh, how, like, what is their policy on, on queer people? Um, are they affirming of queer people or not? Yes or no. <laughs> and are they clear or unclear about that? So you can have one of four ratings with church clarity. You can be unclear affirming, clear affirming, unclear non-affirming, or clear non-affirming. So we need to clarify this because I'm still having conversations, and we were also talking about how exhausting it can be yeah. to be an advocate and an ally in this space. And I'm just trying to be someone who's an ally, let alone like someone like you who like, this is your life yeah. and you're constantly bombarded with these kind of conversations and it can be so exhausting. But I, I still get a lot of people who are very <laughs> unclear about what it means to be affirming. They're like, mm-hmm. Hey, I, I love everybody. That's right, man. I love everyone. I do, you know, and my church does. And, but what church clarity is doing is that they're kind of delineating uh-huh. and defining what these words mean. Yeah. And I want to put, I'll post this on the Facebook page too, but one of the groups that we're both a part of called mission friends, the number four inclusion mission friends for inclusion, put this really cool little four, category colorful thing out there and it goes from left to right not that that means anything but the first one is you're anti-gay and so it's red it says if your church or you as a person says we don't want you here in our in our family so if you have a kid you say we don't want you here we reject you Mm -hmm. uh if you're a church or a pastor we say you're not allowed to belong here come on sundays and we believe you're going to hell if you're gay that's Mm -hmm. anti-gay i'm sure a lot of my listeners 99% 99% of them are not anti-gay. Right. I hope you're not, uh, unless you're Westboro Baptist, potentially. The next one is in this yellowish. It says you're, you're welcoming. That means you say come, you can sit down, and you can listen. You can be a part of our, our church on a Sunday gathering. Uh, maybe if you're a family, you could say, you know, you could still have your, your bed, and we'll still give you food here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd say 
we really believe that God wants you to change. We really believe that God doesn't accept you, that you, quote unquote, wouldn't go to heaven if you would continue, quote unquote, being gay or living out this life as you express it as a gay person. The next level is accepting. And this little graph I'll post has a different uh, shade of yellow. But it says you're accepting. And that means what I think what a lot of churches are, are today. Would you agree? Most churches yeah. that we're talking about, like even the church, the Zoe Church or Hillsong Church, yeah. would say they're accepting. Of course, come on in. We want you here. We love you. Uh-huh. You're, you know, and, and and they would make you feel welcome and just like uh-huh. a part of the family. But they would not encourage or accept you being in a relationship as a gay person. They would. They they might accept you being in a relationship. They would not bless it. They would not give you their blessing. There you go. That's the difference. Because they're they're accepting but not affirming. Like if I brought a boyfriend to Hillsong, Uh um, we would absolutely be greeted. People might even give us hugs. They would, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. We're so glad you're here. They would look at us as just sinners, just like them. Like this is one of our sins that we struggle with is Mm -hmm. being in this relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's no worse than gluttony or lust or pride or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just our sin to deal Mm -hmm. with. But they would um, say maybe you would go to heaven maybe, but we're not sure because grace yeah, is that, grace. So we're not yeah, sure. And, and, and one sin's just like another. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, they would never, ever be able to affirm our relationship. They'd never be able to see the sacredness in a gay relationship. And so to be accepting means you can be here, but also you couldn't be in a relationship. Yeah. I'm sorry, in a leadership position. Probably. You can probably get baptized maybe. Probably couldn't be members. Maybe you couldn't be members. And that's what this organization, Church Clarity, is trying to say. You, as a church and as a pastor, have to be forthright on your website. What are your policies? What are your policies? Can I be married in your church? Will you recognize my legal marriage to a man? Right. Uh, Could I be, as an ordained minister, could I be on staff at your church? And we were a part of an organization, a denomination, that would say they are accepting, but they're Welcoming, not loving, affirming. Yeah. But they, not affirming, yeah. they are not allowing gay people to be members. In no. fact, if you listen to the podcast uh, number 31 from Holy Cannoli with Dan Collison, he's uh-huh. a pastor in Minnesota who's undergoing this very thing. He's being disciplined. He's a straight white pastor uh-huh. being disciplined and put on probation for allowing members into his church who are gay. Right. So that means you are not affirming and affirming would be gay people, LGBTQ people are welcome to be a part of the community. They can serve, they can be upfront, they could speak, they could be baptized, they could be married. All Our marriages of that stuff. are just as valid as straight marriages. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I want to encourage you, Canolios, to be really familiar with that that wording, affirming, because I've used that word uh, a lot and I'm talking to people a lot these days. In fact, I just was told um, a church is backing out of partnering with Brave Maker. Because they they didn't understand what it meant to be affirming. They're like they're more in the probably welcoming or accepting, accepting category. Yeah, yeah. And when I said that um, I as a person as a pastor am affirming as well as Brave Maker wants to be an affirming. That's why we're partnering when doing this LGBTQ event with right. Brave Maker in February and in June. And they pulled their partnership with us. Basically, they said that we couldn't use their building. Well, basically, I said we should pull our partnership (laughs) because I don't think it would be a good partner because they were kind of hemming and hawing and saying we weren't sure. They're not. I'm like, you know what? This isn't good. Nope. We don't need to partner. Yeah. So So it's a, it's a, it's a fine line sometimes between kind of welcoming and affirming. Um, but it's an important one. And I have, I have friends for instance, who were a gay couple in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. went to a large kind of evangelical, kind of a cool hipster church. Like they definitely felt welcome. They felt, like they had friends in the church. They thought they were just fine. Uh, they were serving um, in some ways. And then when they went to apply for membership, mm. 
they were called in to a kind of closed door meeting with the pastor and he was very loving and gracious, but had to kind of like break the news to them that because of their relationship, because they were practicing homosexuals, Mm -hmm. um, they would not be allowed to be members. And this was heartbreaking to them after a year and thinking that they had found a church home. And if they would have had church clarity, you know, abiding policies, they would have known ahead of time, like, let's look on the website before. Could Mm -hmm. could this church be our home? Oh, nope, they wouldn't. Right. And and this, again, going back to this conversation around artists, artists are surfacing these conversations. And I think it's really a powerful statement that Ellen Page... Me too. Right? Like, we need these stories and we need to not brush them under the rug yeah. and we need to hear people's real life experiences of what it feels like to be in churches like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, going back, go ahead. Do you have something to say? Oh, I was just going to say like, and this is just one little other piece of, of the whole story. Um, I understand why non affirming churches want to withhold that information. Yeah. Cause it makes them look bad. Well, there's two reasons. What? And I give them the benefit of the doubt. The one reason is it makes them look bad. You're right. <laughs> it makes them look like kind of homophobic like yeah. to the culture at large, sure. right? If, if the American culture, which has become way more gay friendly now than it ever was, yeah. like here's, oh, Hillsong doesn't accept gay people. I mean, Chris Pratt might not go there if he really understood that. Or, yeah, or yeah. Justin Bieber might not go to wherever. If, if. Yeah. So, so it does make them look bad, right? But then the other part of it is, I think these very sincere, loving people, they want the opportunity to speak into my life, for instance, mm. and see me make a change. It's like a bait and switch kind it's of thing. It's totally a bait and switch. They might not see it like that, but they would be like, we need to uh, to, to be loving and welcoming so that they become a part of the community so yeah. that we have the opportunity to speak truth into their life sure. and, and they can see that they need Jesus and they need to like renounce their gay relationships. Yeah. And, and they... Like, so they don't want us to see on their website that they're not, because they want us to come. They yeah. want us to come so that they can in influence here, us. So Get the gays here so we can change them. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that is a loving impulse yeah. on their part. I give them, they're, they're yeah. not being hateful in that. But it's not truthful. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, yeah. And so exactly. again, going back to like why we, I'm so glad that. Chris Pratt has to face this. And, yeah. you know, Brian uh, Houston from Hillsong put a statement out, but it was still kind of unclear. Oh, I'd like to actually totally get, get Church Clarity to come on the podcast so we can talk about it. Because it seems a little like there's a, another side of the story that like seems kind of threatening. Are you threatening churches and what's happening? And mm-hmm. I've been on the inside of a church staff mm-hmm. where I've heard other pastors say, if they ever, if the if if the government ever makes us have to do same sex marriages, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is a fear for churches for sure. to Absolutely. have to compromise their faith. Yeah, and you know, I've and I don't about, want them to. I I tell people, I I do not want you to act according like against so just your be conscience. Honest. Yeah, just be honest. Yeah, just be honest. Um, that that that's that's actually what we're asking. Yeah, do you or do you not affirm the goodness? And, the, and God's blessing on same-sex relationships. And so the event we're doing tomorrow, uh, one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to be having these conversations, I think there are still people who, who are on the fence or who are questioning how they understand scripture. And if that is you, then please engage with us, engage with the conversations. Um, if, you're, if you missed the Brave Maker event for February, we're doing it again in June. We're going to have another, uh, we're going to have a feature film called At the End of the Day, it's my first public announcement of that, so it's nice. kind of cool, uh, which is about a, a church that is, or actually a, a, a 
a psychology professor who deals with his understanding and acceptance of the gay community or not. And so we're going to have more of these conversations, but that's what I'm trying to curate is opportunities for us to listen and learn different perspectives. And, you know, it took me a long time to see scripture in a different way. And I've been guilty of misappropriating my privilege and my opportunity as a white straight man, the man part, especially with my wife, even um, the white part with my friends of color and just missing it, you know, all that stuff has been oh, just so heartbreaking. My straight part with Matt here and other gay friends I've known, like, oh my gosh, I've just caused so much damage. Yeah. And most of it has just been ignorance mm-hmm. and just blind acceptance, not really questioning. And so, gosh, I, this is why I think art is in film is so important. We need to be able to, uh, put out these things and have people wrestle with them. And so Matt's going to be sharing his his original music tomorrow. And I think we're going to hopefully be able to record some of that live so we can put some of it on the podcast. No pressure. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> um, but hey, let's uh, switch the gears and talk about the challenges of being an artist in the Bay Area. And so we talk about like, oh, we want to be culture changes, but dang, it's hard to change culture starting with creating art because we can barely like put food on the table and get rent. I mean, someone the other day was talking to me about like, Oh, it must be nice to go to Sundance. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, it was nice to go to Sundance, but someone paid for me to go to Sundance. Like the only way I could get to Sundance was someone enabled it to happen. Yeah. And I stayed with a friend for free. Uh, I have to work three different jobs. I'm looking at going back to waiting tables. Mm-hmm. Like we're barely, I'm working, you know, crazy amount of hours and we're barely, getting our rent paid right. and our, our rent, our savings is dwindling. It's so hard to live the creative life, especially Wait, in the Bay Area. You have savings? <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> Very little. Wow. That's, that's really uh, it's cool. It's so humbling. It's so humbling. And I don't want to move out of the Bay Area because I love it. Um, I know you were in Austin this past week. I had another mm-hmm. friend move to Austin and it's super cheap there. Right. Uh, and well, a lot of cheaper. people, a lot yeah. of people are leaving the Bay area, artists, educators, teachers, government workers. I mean, people, unless they have like a huge six figure job in the tech industry and I'm, believe me, I'm applying to those jobs. I'm <laughs> trying to get in. Could someone please hire me? I've applied to 150 jobs. Like, what do you think? What, what's the the epidemic? How do we how do we bridge this gap? Because Brave Maker is trying to do that. I'm trying to employ other artists, give people some paychecks, make these events happen so that we can help people's work get out into the world and help them find other supporters. Which, by the way, thank you, Brave supporters of Holy Cannoli and in my uh, nonprofit. I can't do this without you. You are making it happen. You are enabling the. <laughs> the bills to get paid somehow. I mean, I'm having a bill on my desk right here, 111 bucks from the city of San Carlos. I don't know why. They're just <laughs> billing me for existing, mm-hmm. but it's like, it, it never ends. Yeah. So what do we do as artists? What are your thoughts? You want to do music. You want to write a book. Uh, I do. Uh, and we were talking, you know, about how important supporters are. Uh-huh. I think that, uh, that I think that as, as artists, I'll speak for myself, I guess. I, I see value in what I do when I write and post on Facebook or other social media platforms. I get lots of engagement. I think that people mm-hmm. see from a different perspective. I, I have seen people's hearts and minds changing slowly but surely mm-hmm. over the last several years. And I'm really proud to be a part of that. I want to do more writing. I want mm-hmm. to do more um, speaking out and being an advocate. Um, but it's hard for me sometimes because I'm working so hard to pay rent, to support my mm-hmm. children, to pay off bills. I, you know, I work 
two uh, a full-time job a part-time job and then multiple small jobs you know dog sitter house sitter oh yeah voice lessons uh <laughs> tutoring um oh, i cater you know like serve with a catering company yeah. sometimes yeah. and it, it's it's hard and and i Artists, often you are not alone do you no, resonate you know at the end of the day i i kind of want to fall in bed i don't yeah. have you know two hours to sit and work on my book and i sometimes feel like i'm being grandiose to say I want to write a book, but I do, and I feel called mm-hmm. to it, and I feel like it's going to be uh, useful somehow. Mm-hmm. So uh, you and I were just talking today about how do you do that? How do you fund that? I've always yeah. been very, very hesitant to ask for money, mm-hmm. um, and so I humbling. think maybe I need to. Yeah. You know, we were talking about the idea of a Patreon yeah. page, which is uh, like you, you get monthly subscribers, basically. So pay People for say, play, yeah. Yeah, like I'll, I'll pay 15 bucks a month, and, and then I'll have access to a private Facebook group where maybe I put up uh, fa- like Facebook Live yep. sessions with different guests yep. that are only accessible to people who are subscribers to my Patreon. We live in the day and age where, as artists, you have to create your own work. You yeah. have to pave the way. Because yep. I waited so long for someone to like, hey, could, could someone see me? Could someone fund me? Yeah. And I did a lot of asking, but then I had to create, I had to start writing, I had to make it happen, and you do. I, I, so I'm going to help you, dude. you got to make that happen. You've got good stories to tell and great music. And I forget, did we talk about this on the podcast, like how the event even happened? Like, wait, Did we talk about how you texted me, you're coming back from vacation? I forget. We've talked about so many different <laughs> things. But like the fact that like we are going, hey, we we are friends, we are creative, mm-hmm. we've got to make something happen. Mm-hmm. You get your kids together, you're, oh, yeah. you're you're rehearsing, and like boom, that might like stir up the next chapter for you. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that that absolutely happened. I mean, we talked about doing some kind of an event, and then the idea of me performing some live music, and and in my mind, it was just me and a piano, right? Uh But then somehow I I got to thinking about involving my kids, because they play with me a lot at the church that I um, Mm -hmm. lead worship at, and and I just love spending time with them, and I think they're really, really gifted musicians, and they got excited about it, and and then we've we've had two rehearsals um, to prepare for tomorrow night, and they were just magical to me. I loved it. I was so excited. And, and it got me all fired up to write new music and to, to put more music out there. Um, and it's just, it's kind of cool how like creativity begets more creativity. And, um, and when we see the results from what we, from our effort, um, it, it encourages us to make more. Yeah. Um, I remember I was at your launch party 18 years oh ago. I think I was one of the hosts of it. You oh asked me gosh. to host it at somebody's house. Yeah. And Same y- you <laughs> you got that funding in a really unique way. Again, a patron came out of yeah. nowhere to yeah. say I wanted to fund the album, right? Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing story. So I did an album in 2005. So 14 years okay, ago now. 14. And... And I had always wanted to do this. Um, and in fact, I, I was able to... So it has 10 songs on it, and nine of them I wrote. Um, I I hired a producer who I loved. His name is Michael Rowe, and he was uh, part of a band in, called The 77s in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. They still make music today, even, and tour. But uh, Michael Rowe was just a hero of mine in high school and college. And... And I don't know, I had always dreamed of being a recording artist and, and putting these songs out there, but I didn't know how, and I certainly didn't have the, the money mm-hmm. to do that. And then through this really amazing but sad and tragic turn of events, um, uh, a family from our church who had been impacted by by our worship experiences and, mm-hmm. and my worship leadership specifically, um, a, a woman was killed. and um, Her sister, right? The woman's yeah, sister. Well, well, a woman in our church, yes, was yeah. killed. And then yeah. her sister 
used the the insurance money from her death, she asked me if, if somehow she could use that money to enhance my ministry or somehow so cool. encourage or bless me. And I remember feeling really hesitant, like, gosh, how dare I use this money for myself? Mm-hmm. But but when when we got the go ahead from everyone and, and did it, invested this it, it was a you know a, a lump sum of money, and I just told Michael Rowe. I called him one day. I said, uh, "Would you make help me make an album, and I can pay you this much money?" And he said, "Yeah, we can do it on that budget." And and so you know, a couple months of recording and writing, cool. and oh, it was really exciting. Um, and and I think long term, this family has been really blessed and encouraged by that because I was able to do it in the memory of this woman who yeah. died, and and uh, and her fam- She had children who died as well. And, and I even wrote about that and, and dedicated it to them. And then the, the people who had donated the money were the executive producers of the project and mm-hmm. their names are in there. And, and, and we talked about it a lot That's and cool. we kind of like did this in her honor and in her memory. Interesting and full circle with six feet under death being know, a right? very thematic in your life. Dude. Oh my gosh. Resurrection. Of that. Wow. Okay. So check this out. So yesterday wow. I am in Austin and I had actually just told this story about the creation of the album. Uh, to my friend the, the day before. Mm-hmm. And then I get a text from the woman who donated the money. I have not heard from them That's in wild. a decade, I bet. Wow. And I get a text from an unknown number and she says, hey, Matt, uh, just want you to know I'm listening to this album right now. Um, it's encouraging us. Our family's going through a, a hard time and we, um, I, she, she just wanted to reach out. And, and so I was able to reconnect with them and um, try to be encouraging to them. And it was hugely encouraging to me to think that 14 years later, that music is still being used by God to comfort mm. and encourage a family um, and maybe lots of other people who I don't even know. And we'll, we'll be performing one of those songs tomorrow yeah, night called New Every Morning. Um, I, you know, it's funny. It's a little time capsule of uh-huh. where I was at the time. And so some of it is kind of very influenced by my ex-gay journey where I was trying to be straight. Um, and so I can't really affirm every single song anymore, like every lyric of yeah. every song. But there are songs that I still go, man, I just mean that with all my heart. I and definitely new every morning. It's taken right out of the scriptures, and, and I love it. And I've, I've played that song all over the place. Can I encourage you listeners, Canolios, that supporting the arts is so important. It really does do amazing things for people. Like mm-hmm. this family who was impacted by Matt's music and then a decade and a half later are still impacted by the music mm-hmm. that they actually funded. Like how crazy is that? So do you know if your kids or your nieces or nephews or you're a kid in your neighborhood or grown adults who are in their forties <laughs> who are starting things and doing things, your support means so much, uh, making music, uh, funding books, getting people's artwork out into the world, hosting a, an art gallery in your living room, a wine and cheese event for one of your artist friends, letting them sell their jewelry. Like these things make a difference. Mm-hmm. I have lots of stories where people told me how much money they invest here in the Silicon Valley mm-hmm. in startups and apps. And they know going in those investors at 75%, if not more, will die within three years and be gone. And there's nothing to leave a legacy besides maybe a Wikipedia page. But when you invest in an artist, not only are you investing in that person and their identity and their value and their livelihood, you're investing in an art that lives, a story, a movie. It goes beyond them. Even if it doesn't make money, it is living beyond. So gosh. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been so good for us to talk. It's healing and therapeutic. (laughs) And as we kind of crawl through life, not just surviving, but thriving as artists, 
Uh, I'm hoping other people listening, if you're an artist, be encouraged. You're not alone. Let us help you. Come hang out with us. If you didn't get tickets because they're sold out for the 22nd event, February, uh, our March event. Uh, for Brave Maker is March 25th, and we are doing a really cool documentary called Bias, and we have some special guests. Another artist, creator, writer who we're partnering with named Andre Henry is coming up from L.A. He's a racial justice educator and advocate, really cool, provocative guy. Great guy. And a filmmaker from Oakland named Robin Hauser will be with us. So check that out. It will all be on the Facebook page. Matt, how can people find you or anything else you want to say? Matt Nightingale. I'm on Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram. Love to connect with people. You're pretty responsive. I will get back to you. Absolutely. <laughs> I. It's a... I, yeah, I don't know. It's, probably, it's, it's kind of an addiction, so maybe don't get, don't contact me. <laughs> it's it's a good thing. It's a good problem to have when you have people tweeting at you and commenting that they want to engage. So yeah. do that with Matt. Do yeah. that with us. I'd love uh, to talk to you. Brave Maker. Use the hashtag Holy Can Only Podcast. Share this around. And thanks for listening. Life yeah. is sacred. Life is strange. Yeah. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. You can post questions or suggest topics for the podcast on our Holy Cannoli Facebook page or use the hashtag Holy Cannoli Podcast on Twitter and we might read your question or suggestion on air.